0: Good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, this is Quantum of History. I am your host Don Waldron. Thank you for stopping in. This is episode seven. This one's gonna be diamonds are forever. Start with a little housekeeping. The Instagram post winner, the Bond on This Day award, is gonna go to Era Waldron, my wife. She got it. She's the only one to come close to getting it. Um, the actual picture I posted is of Kanye West, and it's a still photo of his music video Diamonds Are Forever where he samples Shirley Bassey's Diamonds Are Forever and he also talks about the Sierra Leone conflict diamonds so that was the hint and that's what we're going to be talking about today so she was so excited she definitely did not get this from Bond influence she definitely got this from 15 years of watching Keeping Up With The Kardashians so I guess finally watching that stupid ass show comes in handy so that's the winner this week only one to come close so I don't know if I'm sad or proud that nobody got that. So um, yeah, so that's what we're gonna talk about today. And we're also gonna have a special guest on today. It's gonna be Bud West from the Bond Brain. Uh, He's become a good friend of mine. He's a really great guy, well-spoken, knows a lot about everything, loves history. Um, So I'm really excited to have him. I think you guys are really gonna enjoy what he has to say. And what else has been going on? I got to do an interview with Being James Bond and Joe Darlington and what a great time that was. Um, Joe has always been my favorite podcast. I love hearing t- him talk about the movies even when he's wrong um, So it's been a, it's always a great time and I really enjoyed that So if you haven't checked out my interview with being James Bond go over and I uh, checked that out I also got to take part this last Saturday in the zoom call So I got to meet a lot of you guys with uh, ladies who bond bond aficionado that one bond guy Fleming never dies and what a great what a great time that was unfortunately my computer died and I got kicked off, but I got to spend a lot of time, got to talk to a lot of cool people. Um, so that was a lot of fun. The only thing that I regret, I didn't get to spend any time with our little love triangle from uh, from Pluto TV with Love, uh, Chris Hunt, and uh, the, Oz, the Aussie brothers that are always there and dressed up. So, an uh, iconic time too. So, so thank you again, Thomas, Felix, Creighton, and all those guys for putting on that event. It was a great event. I had a great time, and thanks so much for having me. So, let's uh, further ado, let's get into the movie. Let's talk about the one, the only, the indelible. Diamonds are forever. To me. They can stimulate to tease me.
1: They won't leave in the night. I've no fear that. They
0: Diamonds are forever. I mean, it's uh, to me, it's definitely the second worst movie of all the Bond franchise. I think only A View to a Kill is worse, which I think that A View to a Kill is far worse than this movie. To give you an idea of how much I hate A View to a Kill, but it's still, it's it's a bad movie. Connery isn't very good. I find Las Vegas to be very cheesy. He drives a Ford Mustang, which is not good. It's cheesy, too. Mr. Kid looks like uh, Hulk Hogan and Dwight Schrute had a love child. It's terrible. Charles Gray, at some point in his life, has had to walk around his neighborhood and tell people, in accordance with Megan's Law, like I, he has to stay away from playgrounds. Charles Gray is so creepy. He's terrible. Willard White, by a guy named J- Jimmy Dean, like, No, there's just so much wrong with this movie. And I find the book to be bad too. If you've ever read the the Fleming book, I think it's boring. It drools on. Um, They waste Jill St. John, who I think actually it's pretty good. She does a really good job in the role and she actually could be an interesting character if she stays with the savvy sexiness and then they just, but they campy her up and she ends up being cheesy and dumb and she put her in a bikini, which is amazing. I'm about to say this, but they put her in a bikini too much so yeah I'm yeah right I'm just as surprised I'm saying it as you are hearing it but yeah, they just put her in a bikini too much it becomes cheesy dumb um plenty of boobs like (laughs) plenty of tool is only there just to show a gratuitous cleavage shot which I'm not complaining about that either but she just it just feels like they just threw her in there just to be like oh here's one more pretty girl um, so, the storyline is bad. If you're going to show me boobs, at least have a little bit of storyline to it. You know, I'm not I'm not a savage. It's just a terrible movie. And I definitely would, if I'm trying to show somebody and sell them on bond, I'm definitely not showing them this one until like the very end. And you're like, oh, well, you want to see how bad it is? All right, come now. We'll have some, dra- some drinks and we'll uh, have some laughs about it. Um, starting around the 1930s, most famously in Sierra Leone, but there's been numerous Af- African nations that have felt. What the pursuit of these diamonds um have done to nations now currently one in six countries in the world produce diamonds and about 60 percent of the world's diamonds come from sub-saharan africa so the way that diamonds are actually mined are um are two get two categories that are artis- artisanal and industrial mining industrial mining would be like a really strong mining company comes in um, they set up big plants big processing they go deep into um, the ground and it's a well-established advanced and it's a controlled mining. The way that this is run is that government or regime would lease out mining interest to a foreign company in exchange for money or profit sharing and uh, in sub-saharan Africa since the 1930s it's almost been exclusively British companies and Beers has um, been the biggest company having almost a near monopoly in the area typically industrial mining is highly organized it has a lot of technology there's safety and efficacy and everything that they do Um, so their main problem with industrial is going to be smuggling because you're not going to actually just mine it the own way these take you know multi it's almost like an oil company it takes a lot of initial capital to go in there and get these diamonds so industrial mining is more worried about smuggling and then the other type of mining is artisanal artisanal mining So, artisanal mining is where a small local operation would go in and mine the diamonds themselves. They typically get them from riverbed gravel. um, So, they don't need to dig far. They don't need big construction. They don't need big machines to get the diamonds. They actually can just use almost like a... it can be as simple as a sifter. Now, this is unique in the area of diamonds because anyone can do it. If you can just go into a riverbed gravel and sift through it and find diamonds and sell them that's a lot different than the oil industry which takes huge 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 amounts of investment capital to get even get started and then once you're started you have refineries and everything else whereas in artisanal mining you just get the raw diamonds and you can sell them yourself. So how did this lead to the conflict? Well industrial um, mining is going to rely on the stability of regimes so, industrial mining relies on large capital investment to start. It's also going to rely on a stable like license or permits or, or they need exclusive rights to the area that they're going to be setting up at and also be assured that they're going to be able to maintain those permits, those licenses, that area for a very long time. So, if you're a company and you go into Africa and you set up, you put up all this investment capital, you need to be in there for a very long time in order to make it profitable once you set up all the initial capital. Now if you're in Africa and there's constantly regime changes, constant government changes and coups and rebel forces, now you need that regime to stay in power that you've paid off, that you've got invested interest in, that you have a relationship with. So if your regime gets overthrown, now you may your rights and your whole um business maybe just that, that new regime can be like, no, we're keeping it to a different company and then you be forced and lose all the money that you sink into the thing. So it's very important for industrial mining to keep regimes stable so that they can keep their capital intact. So why does this matter? Why does this matter in the matter of James Bond? And I think it's even poignant when he talks about in the movie how why am I investigating diamond smuggling? Like I'm an elite MI6 agent. Why would I investigate that? Well, that's exactly right. Why would you investigate it? It doesn't make any sense to use a government agent to do it. It only makes sense if De Beers has political agents or political influence with their own lobbyists. So if the, if De Beers needs this done and he has, they have people in power, they can actually use their influence to make the government assets to go investigate these regimes. Now this becomes problematic because let's say that the regime isn't very good or it has it's being oppressive or um, doing human rights violations. Now you've got government agents going in there and meddling with the government and the power struggle with in, within a country not for beneficent purposes, but so that a private industry can keep their influence in a government practice. Now, the con for artisanal mining is that it hasn't has, doesn't have strong government order. Now, these factions create fighting and territory disputes. So, without a strong government to organize and oversee artisanal mining, um, the locals fight battles of interest and there becomes almost like a drug trade. It's why diamond mines are often considered breeding grounds for wars. This is especially true of countries with low alternative means of income. So for instance, Sierra Leone diamonds account for nearly 20% of the country's GDP. Now if you've got a sole enterprise that's accounting for almost 20% of your GDP is based on diamond mining, one industry, and all these people have to fight over that one industry, that's where these conflicts are coming about. But an example of how two countries in the same region can be affected vastly different from mining of diamonds, Is when you compare Sierra Leone with Botswana. Now Sierra Leone first began being mined in the 1930s and they were still a British colony. Um, The British like much of Europe viewed Africa as the next place to get raw material and they turned it into profits but in comparison Botswana didn't start mining until the 1970s um, when Dubiers and Botswana government led a joint venture and by the 1970s Botswana had established a, a pretty stable political party so in Botswana, since 1966, they've had the same political party in power. So that's very stable. Botswana and De Beers have enjoyed this symbiotic relationship, and it's rendered huge profits for both um, the regime in power and for De Beers. So the main advantage De Beers and Botswana have enjoyed is that artisanal mining is much more difficult in Botswana. You almost need industrial mining because the deposits of diamonds in Botswana... Are, are mainly in the ground which involve huge machinery um, large workforce and it's much different more difficult to get these diamonds and so botswana is actually considered a success story in the diamond mining because there's not very many conflicts at all within botswana over this stuff as compared to sierra leone but botswana also has the highest level of economic equality in the world and it has the second lowest life expectancy in the world so i mean you see this with um countries with high tourism like the caribbean and Hawaii um, there's large amounts of area there's a large amounts of capital that go into the area but only very few people actually enjoy the fruits of that capital and that uh, money that gets influx into the area whereas they turn an entire nation basically into a workforce for a foreign company so let's compare that with Sierra Leone now Sierra Leone has had is infamous for their wars so Sierra Leone's venture into diamond mining began in 1930s Um, And at the time diamonds were really a foreign concept to think that they were worth anything from 1930s to mid-1950s industrial mining was basically the exclusive way that diamonds were being fostered from uh, Sierra Leone and By the 1950s diamond smuggling was a huge business and um, that was the emergence then the emergence of artisan mining came to fruition So when Fleming was writing the book around the 1950s smuggling was the biggest problem that they that these British companies were having So Sierra Leone's form of government was never centralized they relied on kind of a series of chiefs and local tribes it made it very difficult for any sort of order to be brought to the area. So as the people of Sierra Leone found that they could mine smuggle and then sell their own diamonds this influx of artisan mining um, brought about conflicts. So the Sierra Leone Selection Trust is a it's a British mining company Um, sought to empower local chiefs and use them to combat the illegal artisan mining that was being done in the area but in 1956 Sierra Leone made artisan mining legal and this became a huge flux so by 1960s artisan mining accounted for double the amount of industrial mining but Sierra Leone was only getting half the tax revenue from artisan mining than it was from industrial mining and regimes were constantly in flux and there was constant struggle between industrial minings to protect their interest from artisan minings that were being brought about and popping up all over the country. So by the late 1970s, there was a precipitous drop in in industrial mining. Companies no longer found it profitable to put capital into the area. So without the protection of government, industrial mining basically was obsolete in Sierra Leone by the time the the 90s hit. It was almost like a patter keg between all these different groups, all these different factions using the diamonds that they got for to buy themselves arms, buy themselves weapons and then to do conflicts that had been brewing throughout the area over both interest, area turf. Again, it almost became almost like a drug war. And so this this brews and brews and brews through the 80s and then into the early 90s when conflict just exploded in the areas. Thinking there's no government, really there's no strong centralized government there's all sorts of competing areas. Industrial mining is gone almost, and it's almost artisan mines, and it's all these tribes, all these local areas that are now fighting and arming themselves with the money that they're getting from diamonds to go and perpetuate more violence rather than um, have any kind of stable economic growth with it. So it's it's a complex issue and one that I'm gonna need some uh, some help discussing. So without further ado, I'm gonna talk about, here's Bud West from the Bond Brain to come help sort this all out. Diamonds
1: are forever They are
0: Bud West. Welcome, buddy. It's good to have you.:
1: Thanks for having me, man. I'm a huge, huge history guy. I got a house full of history books, so I love to talk anything about history. I and mean, you stick it in with Bond, and, and you you got me sold, pal.
0: <laughs> right? Well, I, I can't wait to have you. So what do you think about? We think about diamonds are forever, man. Is it your uh, non-stop go-to movie?
1: Uh, you know, if I'm rewatching the whole series, I'll go through Diamonds Are Forever, but there's just, um, there's parts of the film, not necessarily the plot, but just pieces of the film. I, it just seems like Connery kind of phones it in at, at parts and uh, it just, there's some really goofy parts to the film. It's it's not high on my list. I enjoy the novel a lot more. Yeah.
0: yeah. So if, if Mr. Went and Mr. Kidd come to your door trying to sell like encyclopedias, are you uh, are you buying it or are you just letting, yeah, no. are you keeping that door shut?
1: No, I'm I'm letting that door go. Yeah, <laughs> tell them. Yeah, that's a yeah solicitor. No thanks.
0: I'm sure it's not the only thing those two have solicited. <laughs> so, uh, well, we'll get right into this topic, man. So I know that you're you're huge into history. You're really knowledgeable. You know a ton of stuff about everything. Um, so I just want to kind of pick your brain about the conflict diamonds. I know it's a an, an topic that you're interested in and that you really have a a lot to say about. So I'll let you uh, go ahead and get, uh, start get started
1: oh yeah uh, i mean you know blood diamonds is is kind of the the crux of the plot of, of both you know the the film and the novel um and right around the time that fleming wrote the novel diamonds are forever he also wrote a nonfiction book called the diamond smugglers so he was investigating this from you know a historical perspective and he though i couldn't find any specifics on it he appears to have with his nonfiction book run afoul of the De Beers corporation. (laughs) And, uh, he, he got a lot of, he got a lot of heat from them. And then, you know, when they roll it into the film and they start talking about, I go, well, I guess we should talk about what are blood diamonds. I mean, they're, they're diamonds that, you know, are sold to finance wars, conflicts. Um, so, and they actually have a lot of different names. You can call them blood diamonds. They're called conflict diamonds. I've heard them called hot diamonds, red diamonds. But they're really all talking about the same thing, and so this is what Fleming was really trying to reveal, and then, you know, actually turned it into one of his Bond novels.
0: I think it's interesting how both the film and the novel kind of focus on the smuggling aspect, because when he's when Fleming starts writing it in the fifties, it's kind of that's all it's worried about. It's just people who work for De Beers, who almost has like a monopoly on the on the area, are just smuggling oh, yeah. different means, and then it morphs by the time it gets to the late 70s, early 80s, and, and in the 90s. Now it's a violent conflict. And like you said, they're using these diamonds to then supplement for, for arms and, and caches of, of weapons. So, right. Um, um, so what have you seen since like the 1990s? And what what the difference do you, do you see from where it's just simple smuggling to now violent?
1: Well, even back to the, the smuggling, I mean, you, you really, when you go back and you look, when Fleming wrote the novel, um, he mostly did most of his... Um, investigation into Sierra Leone, which at the time was a crown colony. So the smuggling was was a huge money hit uh, for the UK Mm -hmm. And, and London. London really had, you know, most of the world diamond trade. So everything that was being sold as far as blood diamonds and conflict diamonds was really coming through London. Now, by the time they released the film, Sierra Leone has gained their independence and it's their own nation. So you can see why the filmmakers kind of had to adjust the story a little bit. But And they really just go to the smuggling aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, through the years and, and continuing until this day, um, you get to, you know, like the time of Die Another Day. But again, even in Die Another Day, they really don't go into the topic. Yeah, They just kind, kind of name them as... Yes, they really don't want to talk about really what's behind all of this. And
0: some pretty things. Those are pretty diamonds.
1: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of those a lot of those diamonds are sold here in the United States and Mm -hmm. and they make their way over here. And by the time you get past and get into, you know, say the early eighties, the you know, the the UN is estimating it's over twenty percent of the diamond trade is is financing wars. Mm -hmm. And You know, and most of it in Africa, and quite a few nations are kind of hit by this stuff. I mean, it's not just Sierra Leone; it's Angola, it's the Ivory Coast, it's you know the the what's now the Democratic Republic of Congo, used to be called Zaire. So it's really hitting multiple nations, and Mm -hmm. and right, and they're financing these wars. Do you think? And the UN. Go ahead.
0: Do you think it's telling that you know? Fleming would even care about the diamond smuggling at that time do you think it kind of shows like the the ness of where Fleming comes from and what his what his area is and why would why would they use such a uh, mi6 agent to, to use for smuggling
1: well it was a huge it was a huge money maker for, for the British mm-hmm. with all the diamonds coming through so I don't think it's entirely unbelievable that the government would try to put a stop to it. Mm -hmm. Um, What I never quite got was what was Fleming's interest in diamond smuggling? I mean, you don't see the plots in any of his other books where he goes out and bothers to write a nonfiction book about the topic. And he did work for a newspaper, but I always wondered what drove him to that. Because when you look back across that period of time, there's really not a lot of written history on it.
0: No, he almost like had to have somebody high into beers or some kind of high up that uh, somebody in that upper inner circle who had personally been affected by this, that he knew the story of almost, because who else would somebody care so much about it? Right.
1: And then that kind of speaks to, you know, why would that person kind of run their mouth? Why would that kind of person, you know, give away that information? So they must have been losing some bucks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because generally that's your motivator. Somebody's either losing a lot or they're making a lot. And when, when those types of things get revealed.
0: Exactly. I think that's the most interesting part when looking at these things, things is what's the motivation behind it?
1: You know, what's the motivation? Why why would
0: somebody care so much about it? And those are the layers that I always like to look at is what are the motivation? Why invest in it? Why is this diamond smuggling such a thing? Is it because of beneficent purposes that people are dying? Or is it because De Beers, which is a British company, owns so much and has so much stock and so much lobbyists that they can use their assets to then um, further regimes, further stabilizations, and then... Further their own financial interests. So I always find that that's that's interesting. That's what bond lives in. That's those are the things that I find so much interesting. I don't know um, where you go or what what is the um, almost like the uh, the human rights or where do you stand on the whole thing?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I always think it's following the money, and I think some of these these big corporations like the beers they probably don't care. Mm. You know, as long as they're making their bucks, and when when somebody takes a dent out of that, then all of a sudden they they care, and. You know, the U.N. has tried to clamp down on this. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, huge investigation, they created something called the the Kimberley process to, you know, certify that, that diamonds on the market were not being sold from areas of conflict. But when you read up on the Kimberley process, it, it almost reeks of, you know, the old Iraqi oil for food. I mean, there's just something not right with that process, either. Yep. you exactly. know, exactly. Do you want to go into more depth
0: about the Kimberley process?
1: Well, I mean, it really was a way, it was almost like the, uh, you know, you buy everything these days like a collectible and it says, hey, it comes with a certificate of authenticity. And that's basically all that they were trying to do with the Kimberley process. The problem is that it just turned, you know, they, they had nations that were kind of given a pass. If it came out of this nation or that nation, they would say, hey, it's good. But, you know, not realizing that, you know, when they're pulling these, these, diamonds out of say the democratic republic of congo they'll, they'll just smuggle them into cameroon and sell them out of cameroon <laughs> and then yeah. so that they can get their certification so that you know it's you know how it is with criminals i mean they're always going to find a way to try to beat the the process and it's just it just really doesn't seem to work um it also doesn't really take into what you just spoke about like that the um the human rights abuses. So if if it's if the diamonds apparently are not being used to fund a war, they kind of turn a blind eye to it. Whereas it's still some of these diamonds are still being produced using slavery, child labor, uh, you know, forced labor of all different types. You know, uh, abusing people's families to get the men to work the mines. It, it's not and then the kimberly process really doesn't seem to address those types of situations which are still occurring to this day
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so one of the things that i found interesting was like where do you as far as like how do you stand is it is it almost their problem that you're still pumping money into their economy you're still giving them jobs. you're still giving some like in the industrial sort of mining you're still providing some sort of income for you so is it the company's problem or burden to bear to make sure that human rights happen or is it that you know what, we run our business, we give you the money and then what you do with your socioeconomic path is
1: your own. So what would you say? Well, on that? yeah, I mean, you got to believe in freedom. But the thing is, it's, it's like, it's to me, it's kind of like the head of the snake. I mean, you know, you can, you can go out and arrest all the, the drug users, but really what you want to get is the dealer. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's the person causing all the problems. And I think that it's like anything when the market dries up. I mean, look at prohibition, you know, organized crime is selling an alcohol was... anymore. Thank right.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> but we wouldn't survive right. if there was still prohibition. Right.
1: But but the market went away, you know, yeah. the, for the organized crime to to sell and, and, and transport alcohol that went away. And so if there was just a better way if this, if if something I understand the intent of the Kimberley process and if it worked, that would be better because if you know these nations knew that they couldn't move those diamonds there, there would be no point in it. but it, it's so widely used i mean i i've even read that you know when al-qaeda had their bank accounts frozen after some embassy bombings and in kenya and another nation i can't recall at the top of my head um that they started getting into the african diamond trade as a way to build wealth mm-hmm so uh, and it's now it's it's you know now it's now it's you know expanded into the middle east and it just that just doesn't seem to be an easy way to police it
0: exactly and it's it's one of those questions that just there's no easy answer to it and who knows what the right answer is and i'm sure it's a a combination of everything um so one last question here bud all right you got we talked about the another day we talked about diamonds are forever you got a chance between jill st john Plenty O'Toole and Halle Berry, pick
1: one. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Joe Darlington's gonna because frown at me for this, but you know, I, I would I would go with Halle Berry in that particular case, as long as, long as she didn't talk. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, well, maybe maybe on a personal level, she's probably a very nice person, but I, I don't think she's. I agree with Joe; she's not much of an actress, but yeah, she's yeah. St- nice. It's nice, to, it's nice to look at Right.
0: <laughs> so. well that's a great answer bud and I want to thank you so much for your time man you were so good to have, you're one of my favorite podcasts I listen to everything you got, if you're not following Bud West, the bond brain great listen and uh, we're a good friend I can't wait to hang out again bud once this is over we can we can practice the uh, non-prohibition and smoke some cigars again
1: oh absolutely when this whole thing ends man I'm telling you cigar night on my patio and uh Come on over. Thanks for having me on. I was great to hear you pop into the podcasting world, man. So <laughs> I appreciate was, it, bud. That, Thank you so much, buddy. Hey, no problem, man. Take it easy. Talk to you. What's a king to a guy? What's a guy to a non believer who don't believe in anything?
0: Thank you so much, bud. Again, it's such a treat to have a guy like bud come on. Um, if you're not following his podcast, it's the Bond brand. Really great stuff on there. And uh, thanks for helping me out today, bud. So just to kind of tie this all into one thing, it's all these areas and all the things that James Bond lives in. We had a Zoom call. And um, on that Zoom meeting uh, ran by Felix Never Dies, Thomas, one of the questions is, is James Bond a good man? And it was he's a teacher in China right now. And it's one of the questions that he gets asked a lot about James Bond is, is he a good man? And that's an interesting topic, even in something like this. So I think it's very poignant to talk about because it's, it's all in perspective. It's all in the perspective in which you view James Bond. So if you view him as, you know, Great Britain centric, England centric, then yeah, he's out there. He's protecting the interests of the people. He's got a British company, British governor. He's going out there and investigating a diamond smuggling from Africa in which he has really nothing to gain. He's an elite MI6 agent. Why is he going and investing? And the mission is to go find out how the diamonds are getting smuggled and figure out the network and kind of break it down. Is that moral? If you're an African in Sierra Leone and you're trying to make a living by doing your own artisanal mining and then selling these diamonds, even at, at the expense of a British foreign company, is it... Is it moral for a British secret agent to come in here and meddle and meddle with what you're trying to do and what your country's trying to do or is it a case like Botswana where yes there's money being flux, there's stability there's conflict but there's also giant giant economic inequality and low life expectancy so it's it's an argument and I'm sure just like everything every debate that ever has it's somewhere in the middle just like where I want to be right in the middle of Lana Wood's boobs. All right, guys. Thank you so much. This has been Diamonds Out Forever. Thank you so much, Bud West, for coming on. Bond Brain, follow him. Listen to his podcast. Great listen. Thank you so much. This has been Episode 7. This has been Diamonds Out Forever. Stick around. Subscribe. Follow me on Instagram at Quantum of History. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy yourselves. Be safe. Avoid the Rona.